0: Well, hello everyone. I think I am on now. So uh, well, I want to welcome you to our fourth episode of Prodigious Kentuckians. And just a quick note, we are now on YouTube and on various podcasts out there. And by request, we now have our very own Facebook page. We've had it for about a week now. And we we have the, the past uh, four, show, four or so uh, shows stored there. I'm your host, Trent Garrison, and this is my co-host, Julie Martinez. I don't know which direction she is, but this is my co-host, Julie. Hello, Hello, Julie.
1: (laughs) Hello, Trent. Um, I'm excited to be here tonight and really interested to hear the stories that we're going to have from COVID survivors. And also happy to have um, Dr. Hasselbacher with us as well. Um, I think it's going to be a great show.
0: All right, great. Well, um, I feel like I've seen you quite a bit lately on Zoom, Julie. That's a, that's a good thing, I guess. <laughs>
1: I think pretty much every day since Sunday.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Well, tonight's show is on the COVID 19 pandemic. It's something that I think is on a lot of people's minds these days. And probably at this point, it's affected most people in one way or another. Maybe not directly, but at least people that you know. And I wanted to have this program so we could provide, give an opportunity to provide uh, personal stories as well as some medical information to people. So for our show tonight, we have three guests who have had COVID. They're going to jump on here in just a little bit. And we also have Dr. Peter Hosselbacher, who's a retired uh, professor and medical doctor from Uni- University of Louisville. He's president and founder of the Kentucky Health Policy Institute. And he wants me to call him Peter because he said he didn't want to be too formal. So we'll, we'll go, we'll go forward with that. Um, so I'd like to go around and just give everybody, uh, if, if our guests could jump on now, uh, I'd like to go around On here.
2: I just cannot see myself.
0: Oh, okay. Um, you may have to restart your video. There we go. There's Amber
2: it says you cannot start your video because the host has stopped it
0: okay i will (laughs) i will will get we'll get that fixed in just in just a second okay Um, so so we have three guests who have had covid uh recently and what i would like to do uh, do something a little bit different tonight i would like to have uh, just go around and, and let them tell their stories and after that, we can have a little bit of a conversation and have uh, Peter come in and talk a little bit about the statistics and that sort of thing. But uh, if we could, let's start out with, with Barry and just introduce yourselves and tell us, tell us your story about how you got COVID and, uh, and going forward from there.
3: Hey there. Well, first, thanks for having me on. I uh, appreciate it. And uh, greetings from New York. <laughs> uh, so I, I got sick with COVID on April 1st. Uh, back when uh, we were still kind of in the discovery phase of this thing. So uh, testing was hard to come by at that time. We really didn't have much. Uh, I just got diagnosed by symptoms via a, um, a virtual uh, doctor visit on my on my third day. Uh, my first symptoms were just a, a pounding headache, uh, fever, dry cough, um, fatigue, which was just tremendous there's tired and there's fatigue uh and it is a whole new world for me uh, it was just like one of one of the people that i talked to described it as it's like it's like being hit by a truck and then chloroformed uh, that's what it feels like so uh my my acute symptoms lasted about uh two to three weeks uh again i had a fever for for about two weeks going um that subsided after about day 15 or 14 Uh, cough stayed on probably till the end of the the third week. Um, The fatigue then kept all the way through. Uh, So I've just passed the eight month mark and uh, all through these eight months, I have fought, uh, again, the the crippling fatigue at times. Uh, I've had neurologic symptoms, uh, numbness, tingling in my fingertips, uh, brain fog, uh, difficulty concentrating, and my, I also had to have hernia surgery <laughs> in August because uh, it, was no, it wasn't really confirmed, but it was likely due to all the coughing that I did um, during my acute phase. Uh, it, it was pretty bad. I had one night, I think around day 12, where uh, I, for about a 15 to 20 minute stretch, I, I couldn't breathe without coughing. And I thought this was going to be uh, the episode that was going to land me in the hospital. And back then, you did not want to end up in the ER because uh, back in back in early April here in New York, you you checked into the hospital, and and there wasn't a good chance of you checking back out again. It just was we they were still figuring out what to do. Uh, somehow I got that turned around, but I think that took its toll on my body. And uh, right now I'm still recovering from that. Uh, meanwhile, all of my my blood work was coming up pretty much fine. Uh, as with many long haulers, which we're calling ourselves people who've had this for months and months, uh, a lot of our blood work is is fine. And it seems like what we're discovering is that uh, it, it seems to hit um, younger, healthier people longer and uh, people with underlying conditions harder and faster. Uh, so myself, I was you know, supposedly in the low risk group, Uh, I'm 51 years old. I I exercised every day. Uh, I followed a a paleo diet. I hadn't eaten refined sugar in uh, probably seven years. (laughs) I don't eat gluten or dairy and um, I'm fine. And this thing rocked me. Um, But uh, finally now, I guess thanks to time and taking care of myself and, and going online and finding support groups on Facebook and all of us just kind of figuring out uh, and sharing what worked with each other uh, for weeks that went on months and months. Uh, we've all just kind of helped each other find our way through this. Some people are still struggling way more than me uh, even after longer times. Uh, but I'm now just uh, uh, finally getting back to s- some kind of normal function. Today I was able to walk almost two miles um, you know, with some hills in there and with some stairs. And, uh, you know, a month ago, if I even tried that, I would be in bed for a day and a half afterward. It was like you couldn't push yourself too hard because then your body would just like reject that and you would be flattened for a day and a half, maybe even two days. Um, so it's this, you want to build yourself back up, but, um, but your body just keeps kicking you back down. There's a real one step forward, two steps back kind of thing. But now, thankfully, finally, hopefully getting out of the woods with that. And um, just trying to spread the word out there and get people to understand this, this this can happen to you. It's We used to think, you know, back when I first got it, it was like, oh, okay, if I fight it for two weeks, you know, that two-week period, and then, oh, you're over it, and you're done, and you're home free. Nope. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily um, – uh, it's not this, not the case for everybody. So this thing is so weird, so strange, and it's still baffling us to this day.
0: Yeah, Barry, you, you know, I, I forgot to tell the story. You and I met in Louisville 11 years ago. We figured that yeah. out earlier on the, yeah. the pre-show uh, uh, chat. And uh, that's how we got to know each other. We both used to play music, and we, we were at the at the Galt House. Yeah. And uh, we just kind of – I've been friends with him since then on Facebook, and I saw that he had, that he had contracted COVID in the early days. And that's when, you know, New York was blowing up. So, you know, I, I followed his journey. He, he'd been really good about putting it out there on social media, which, you know, I really appreciate the people who have done that. Um, so we're glad to hear that you're doing better. Sorry that, you know, it, it, you, you got one of the bad ones, you know, <laughs> and it yeah. took a long time, a long time to recover. But we, we definitely appreciate you being here and sharing your story.
3: Yeah, if I may, as, as a quick side note, my wife got sick um, shortly after me.
0: Oh, she did? Okay.
3: Younger younger than me, um, and she has rheumatoid arthritis, which should have made things go worse. So, And she had it, was probably sick solidly for about two weeks, never got cough, never really got fever. It flared up her RA really bad. But after that couple of weeks, she was back to normal again and fine. She's been exercising for... For months and months, and she's totally fine. So go figure with this virus. We just we just don't know.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
3: <laughs> well, thanks for being on. A uh, story. I'm going to
0: come to you next, yeah. if you don't mind. I, I apologize for the uh, the technical difficulties earlier, but it's good to see you again. It's been a while.
2: I know. No, it's good to see you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for being on. Uh, I, you know, I, 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 we're friends on Facebook too, and used to be neighbors. I don't know if you still live over there, close to me or not, but uh, we, didn't, we didn't get a chance to talk about that. But, um, you know, we met maybe, I don't know, five years ago or something uh, and uh, and just I, you know, I've kept up with you on Facebook and stuff over the years. And I saw that so that you had it and I reached out to you and asked if you'd be willing to share your story. And, and you said you would. So um, here we are, if you don't mind sharing your story as well.
2: OK, so I actually just had it more recently. Um, I was diagnosed on the 19th, and the symptoms hit me on Wednesday, November 18th, Um, and I'll never forget it, because I just, I felt bad, like my body hurt, I mean, and I just kept telling myself, well, you know, when you hurt your back a couple years ago, you know, the seasons are changing, the seasons are changing, so I just kept pushing through and, you know, just trying to figure it out, Um, and then all of a sudden, I got a headache. And I don't get headaches. So I'm a a very rare, blessed person that never gets a headache. So if I get a headache, maybe once every five years, I know that, you know, something is wrong. And so I was like, you know, I have a headache. And my, my children were like, what? And I was like, I have a headache. And so, like, within, I would say within an hour, I went from just talking normal and just kind of babying my hip to being completely laid out and not being able to talk. Um, so at like that next morning when I woke up, I woke up at like 1030. So I had to call into work and like do everything in my power to find like an urgent treatment that would take me because everybody was like, well, you have COVID symptoms and we're not taking patients with COVID symptoms, which is insane. Like you would think with COVID being a pandemic, all of the urgent treatment centers would be set up to take COVID patients, but I was turned away from two. And they were like, we don't take patients with COVID symptoms. <laughs> I was like, okay. So finally, I just went to the door of one where, and they actually had a sign that said, if you need a COVID test, um, make an appointment. Any other test, ring the doorbell. So I just rang the doorbell anyway, and um, was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, I don't care what test you give me, but you know, <laughs> I need I need your help. I need you to, to fix me, because I still had this headache. and. I couldn't function. Like, like I said, I don't get headaches. So the moment my head was hurting, I was out, like down for the count. Um, and I had to drive myself to try to figure out what was wrong with me. So they did the COVID test. It came back, of course, in 15 minutes. Um, they sent me to St. Joe East. Um, and I was in St. Joe East for 10 hours because I was so dehydrated that they had to just keep me hooked up. And so finally, when they released me, they were like, don't drive. So I had to have somebody come get me. Um, and I was down for the count for two full weeks. Um, I could not move. My back hurt. I think I had every symptom to man, except for the fever. I never got a fever. I had chills. I had aches and pains and, um, You would think that I had a fever because I could be just sitting watching, you know, a TV show or sleep and I would wake up just covered in sweat. Or if I moved from one space to the next space, I was covered in sweat and I I looked like I had a fever and never broke a fever, never had a fever. My fever never went from 98.6 on any thermometer. State, um, so I never could tell, you know, what that was all about. But they were like, well, you know, people are getting chills, getting cold chills, and then, and then, spiking hot, and they're they're not getting a fever. So I had that, and I still have that. Like right now, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm 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 very sweaty <laughs> right now, and that is just because I'm talking, and like anytime I have to talk for a really long period of time or do anything that exerts too much energy or effort, I break into a sweat. I'm not as tired as I was, but I immediately get hot and I'm, I'm sweating and I can't, there's like nothing I can do to control it. Um, and that started a couple of days before my back started hurting, was the sweating. And I just kept saying, oh, you know, I'm old, I'm going through menopause it's what it is. You know, like this is just, you know, this is just something that happens, no big deal, you know. And then my back hurt, oh, you know, I hurt my back a couple of years ago, it's fine, no worries. You know, seasons are changing and then boom, um, a life has been altered because like, I still can't taste things the same. Um, still when I eat, I take like really small bites of everything individually. So kind of my brain can tell me what it's supposed to taste like, because the minute I mix it up together, it's over. I don't have any, like, I don't have any way of discerning any of the individual flavors. And that kind of sucked for Thanksgiving because I don't know about you guys but I like to kind of take the fork and you know couldn't do that so um yeah it's been it's been crazy and I've been back to work now for about a week and I can tell like it's a completely different uh everything about my life from before COVID to right now at three weeks out it has changed and I'm not sure when it'll go back to being the same
0: well, we're glad you're, you're starting to feel better and, uh, you know, kudos to you for coming on, even though you're still sick with it a little bit. We, we appreciate that.
2: You know, another friend,
0: another friend of mine had it and she, she mentioned the taste thing. She's been uh, kind of documenting it online as well. Um, and she said that she can taste, she can taste like salt. And that's like the only thing that she can taste. I don't know if it's the same with you.
2: And you can, well, you can, dis- I can distinguish really well between salt and sugar. So if it was really sweet, I could taste it. And if it was really salty, I could taste it. So for about two weeks, I lived off of those peach-flavored protein drinks. And I'm not exactly sure what brand, because a friend of mine brought them to me. But because they were sweet, you know, they had, like, such a sweet flavor, then they were really, really good. You know, like, I was like, ooh, I can, you know, I can do this. But anything that had a kind of a bland, flavor – there, there was no, there wasn't anything. So I did eat ice cream too, because you know, why not? I could taste all the sweetness of the chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: right, that's right, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on and sharing your story. We'll, we'll jump over to Amber, then we'll, we'll just come back and have like an informal. Uh, we'll, we'll care, compare some notes a little bit later. But thank you very okay. much. And uh, Amber, we don't know each other, but we have a mutual friend who she reached out and told me. She said you have to, you have to meet this person. She's had a, a little bit of a rough story. And, uh, and here you are. So uh, happy to have you on. And, and thanks in advance for, you, for your story.
4: Oh Well, thanks for having me. Um, so I kind of type my story out since I've got a little bit of a longer one. I'll be as quick as possible. Um, so my name Amber Bashir tarter I'm a nurse practitioner. And I work in Somerset, Kentucky. I cover eight counties in southeastern Kentucky for the VA. And so I'm not in a nice, clean doctor's office. I have a government car and I'm out and about in the community seeing the veterans that are too sick to get to the doctor. So when COVID hit, we were still, we're still out in the community. So, um, that meant we went in the homes. We did have, we do have PPE, but it was a little scary to say the least. So, um, I've been in healthcare since 2001. I'm a healthy 42 year old, no health history, um, They, When they first opened the drive-through clinics, they opened one in Somerset, Kentucky. And because of our patient population being very geriatric, extremely sick, our management advised us if they open it up to healthcare workers, you should run through just and make sure you're not an asymptomatic carrier. So I called my nurses and I said, I'll be the guinea pig. I'll go. We all laughed about it. It was, you know, I had zero symptoms. I went through on a Wednesday, it was in April. And then they called two days later and said, you're positive. I was floored, I had no symptom. And um, it really took two days after that that i then been developed of headache, fatigue, um, and then loss of smell and taste. My symptoms that time were pretty mild. I mean, it was about five days of headache, fatigue, um, I, I, to be honest, I didn't take off work. I worked from home and did visits through telehealth. Um, so that tells you I really wasn't in the bed sick. Um, so on day five, I started having tachycardia, which is an elevated heart rate out of nowhere. No health history of any heart related incidents. At first I thought, well, is it, have I worked myself up? Is it anxiety? But it woke me up out of sleep. It continued um, for several days and I kept, you know, trying to talk myself out of it. Finally, when I went back to work out in the community to see patients, I knew I didn't feel great. The fatigue, like Barry said, I mean, it's just, it hits you. I mean, you're just walking up the flight of steps is absolutely taxing to no end. You know, I would go see a patient and be in a home an hour and come out to my car and have to sit there and take deep breaths. So, finally, after a couple of weeks of dealing with that, I had palpitations, which were just fluttery feelings in my chest, um, fullness in my throat that kept making me cough. I knew something wasn't right, but being in healthcare, that's hard to admit. So, I finally called a cardiology friend of mine and said the first steps admitting you got a problem, right? So, I've got a problem. <laughs> And um, after labs and tests and monitors and everything, I was diagnosed with viral myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart wall. Um, I had arrhythmias when they hooked me up to the monitor. Um, I was having, and I'll use some medical terms, it it doesn't matter, but just in case there are medical people out there. So I was having PACs frequently, PVCs um, and SVT, which is supraventricular tachycardia. Uh, my heart was at risk for going into lethal ventricular arrhythmias, and I had developed high blood pressure. So I was placed on several, several medicines, which was hard to swallow because before this, I took a multivitamin and some vitamin D, and that was it. And I was completely healthy. So my daily regimen started with about eight or nine pills and a blood thinner <laughs> to keep my, me from having blood clots. And it ended with, you know, six or seven pills. It was just very hard to swallow that I had gotten so sick because I wasn't what you would say acutely very ill. Um, so that was really hard for me. Um, I was told it would take six months to a year for my heart to recover um, from the damage that, that, that COVID had caused. And so I started to cardiac rehab myself walking in the evenings as I could just trying to gain strength and uh, get back to my daily routines. So now, seven months later from that, I'm happy to say my last cardiac MRI that I just had showed the damage has resolved. Yay! (laughs) I'm off all of my medicines except one um, for blood pressure because my blood pressure is still slightly above goal and uh, so that's, that's been great news and I feel wonderful. Um, there were times where I felt like this is my new normal. And um, so that was hard. That was the first infection. Second infection was in August. So that was four months from my initial infection. And I will say my first infection, I have no idea We've tried, I mean, I'll never know. I was in four different counties. I wore PPE. I was in homes with patients that had come out of um, UK and VA and Lexington who had been on ventilators, who had various respiratory failures. I have no idea where I got it. I got it. So, um, The second infection was in August and it was my fault. I let my guard down. I had been very, very careful and only, you know, being around my immediate family in my home, but I had a close friend and um, I was unmasked and with her for a few hours. Unfortunately, about three hours after we were together, she developed a fever and called me. She was treated for a sinus infection, but three days after I was with her, I developed a low grade fever, 99.3, nothing real serious, but I self monitor for work so when I woke up and I had checked my temperature and it was a little elevated, I didn't see patients that day. I mean, I thought it could be anything. It could be just a, you know, some other respiratory symptom, virus going on. Um, I did test that day and I was negative. And that was just a antigen quick test. Um, two days after that day, my symptoms worsened pretty severe. Um, the chest congestion, extreme sore throat, fatigue, nausea, diarrhea, um, headache. I was, I was a high fevers. I really thought I had influenza with probably developing pneumonia and I felt like it was probably just where my immune system had been wiped. Um, I was seen at my uh, local provider's office and they did flu and strep and they actually Um, did a chest x-ray everything was negative and so at that point they did do a send-off PCR testing for COVID and still I just felt like the, you know um, I'll kind of get into that but in the back of my head I thought this cannot be happening this cannot be happening and I just kept thinking my immune system has to be just shot so um, then the next day after I was seen I woke up and I had no taste. And I knew I didn't need a test. I knew it was COVID. Nothing takes your taste away like COVID. I mean, to the point where you can pour red pepper flake on your tongue and you can't taste it. You can pour Tabasco sauce in your mouth and you cannot taste it. So it was confirmed two days later that I did have COVID. Um, At that point, I was established with infectious disease at UK. I was in bed sick for 10, 11 days. I took care of myself. I mean, I really didn't wanna go to the hospital. So I did all the things you hear about. I laid on my stomach, I slept prone. Um, I did nebulizing treatments uh, four times a day. I took mucinex, Tylenol, monitored my vital signs and had multiple Zoom visits every other day with the infectious disease department to try to keep me home and out of the hospital. Of course, they were most concerned with my heart, and weirdly, I had zero heart issues that round. None. I mean, I was on a plethora of medicine, so who knows if the medicine, you know, was what kept my heart from acting up. But I was super sick, Um, acutely sick, like what you would think would might affect your heart, not the not like the first time. So what we learned from that is the disease severity doesn't correlate. I mean, you don't have to be super sick from COVID to have lasting long-term effects and to be, like Barry said, a long hauler. Um, So anyways, as for long-term effects from the second one, I recovered in like a month, I'm gonna say. I was back to walking three miles uh, before. I could have never done that um, when I was infected in April. It would have taken months and months to get back to my baseline, but I recovered quite free, like quite um, efficiently, and my heart was at its baseline. I did have the rash both times that story talked about. It's about three weeks post-infection that I developed the rash. Now, um, people have, I've had tons of questions about, I mean, are you sure you had it? You really had it twice. So, here's that story. So, I had, Um, antibody testing. After my first infection, I was at six weeks out. And um, so I had the antibody testing at UK that had pretty good specificity for COVID-19. I was negative for antibodies. So they asked me to come back in a few weeks and retest. I was tested again at 15 weeks out right before my second infection. And I was still negative. So I knew that there was a chance that I could be reinfected. I knew that. Just not that antibodies mean everything but they do correlate some so I was aware that I needed to be careful and for what reason I didn't know I thought maybe it was just a low viral load. I really didn't get that sick the first time so maybe that's why I didn't develop the antibodies. Now after the second infection infectious disease wanted um, of course to run antibodies again so at week seven, post infection number two, I had antibody testing and everybody felt for certain, you'll have, as sick as you were, you will be good. You've got to have some kind of immunity. And I, I don't, I had very little. So I've been enrolled in two longitudinal studies through the University of Kentucky. One is on immunity and the other one is on cardiac and um, coagulation, which is clotting issues and they've studied numerous factors of my immune system which are completely healthy and they still there are other people like me that just don't mount an immune response to the virus itself they do feel like that with the vaccine that there will be better coverage for people like myself and that we will mount once we're vaccinated so i just hope in the next few weeks or so that that will be the case and that we'll find out because they will be looking at that um so in in my family i um (laughs) the first time nobody else was infected in my household the second time my 13 year old daughter did was infected um and she was mildly sick four to five days she really looked like a strep throat kid just um fever sore throat she recovered really quickly and actually she had Antibody and immune testing at UK as well, just because they were kind of curious. And she had beautiful antibodies and T cells and B cells and her cytokines and all the things that they look at. Interferon looked great. So who knows? Just, um, you know, some girls have all the fun, I guess. But um, loss of smell and taste, still, my taste is still altered. I can smell, but um, not as good as I once could. And other than that, I really don't have any lingering effect. I mean, I can honestly say that I'm 100 percent recovered from both COVID infections, but nothing says that it couldn't come back again. I kind of feel like I'm on final destination,
2: dodging the bullet here so <laughs> But that's my story. Trent, can I say something about her story?: Please. Okay, so when she said her friend came over, it reminded me, because I got COVID from my son, he's a student at Kentucky State University, and he came home, and he wasn't feeling well, so I sent him to the doctor, and the doctor told him he had a sinus infection. And when she said that, I was like, yes. So we thought he had a sinus infection the entire weekend that he was home. He was taking his antibiotics. And, of course, I was taking care of him and sitting beside him and rubbing his back because over the weekend he developed a horrible headache. Um, But by Monday he was fine and he left and went back to school. So that was on Monday of the week I was diagnosed. So, like, Monday he left and went back to school. He never had another symptom. By Wednesday I was completely taken out. Thursday, I got tested and had COVID, so he went and got tested, and he he was diagnosed with COVID as well when he went and got his COVID test, so we both had it, but we knew, we were like, I was like, I think that, you know, my son gave it to me, but his symptoms only lasted about four or five days, and he was up and back at school, and he hasn't had any lingering issues at all. Right. Right.
0: I, I, I don't know what to say, Amber. I mean, that's a hell of a story. <laughs> uh, you'll never forget that as long as you live, I'm sure. And uh, yeah. yeah, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing that. Hopefully, um, people will see this. Enough people will see it and share it that they will have a, a good sense of what it's like and how it varies from person to person and, and you know how severe it can be. But thank you all so much for, for sharing that. We'll, we'll have some more questions and comments in a little bit. But I wanted to uh, I wanted to get Dr. Hasselbacher in here too. He's gonna talk a little bit about a uh, little bit about it from his side of things and maybe some statistics and then we'll come back and, and talk a little bit more. So you should be if you want I don't know if you want to share your screen or just talk about it informally, but you should have that ability if should you need to.
5: Fair enough. You know, I, I'm, I'm really not sure where to start. Um, let me say at the outset that uh, at age 75, I'm, I'm one of the, the old gomers that's, that's uh, vulnerable, but I haven't been a practicing physician for a long time. So I, I'm, I'm not gonna comment too much. On, I'm not an authority on what's, what's best and newest. Uh, I've been an old uh, medical school professor my whole life, uh, uh, rheumatologist, uh, internist, uh, interest, I had a laboratory, an immunology laboratory, for the longest time. Did laboratory and clinical research, and got interested in public health because my patients were all getting the shaft in our our healthcare system, and I wanted to try to figure out what was wrong and 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 make it better. So I got interested in health policy. That turned into interest in in, uh, in government relations, and and I actually finished my career more as a lobbyist than as a physician for for our medical center and for medical schools around the country. Let me, before showing some numbers, if we have time for that, because I, I asked myself the question. I had been interested in the, the hepatitis C and the hepatitis A epidemic in Kentucky, and I used to help teach medical statistics. And, and so when, when our epidemic of COVID started, uh, naturally, I, wanted, I was interested in that. And, and I asked myself the question, how can we tell if we're winning? And that's what led me to develop the portfolio of, of slides. Uh, I'll show you one or two of them just to try and convince you that, no, we're not winning. Um, but, let me make a few comments about what what our our friends have said who have actually personal personal contact with the disease and, and that 's you know this is a brand new illness and uh, uh, in many ways and we 're still learning as we go how how do we diagnose it, how do we treat it um, because in the beginning. there was a big emphasis internationally and here on on pneumonia and people getting intubated and put on respirators and dying of pneumonia that it took us a little while to realize that, gosh, you know, pneumonia and death are not the only bad outcomes from having uh, coronavirus. Uh, COVID-19 is the name of the syndrome that that this strain of coronavirus causes. So we use them interchangeably, but one is a virus and one is a, a, a disease spectrum. Uh, Over the months, a study of of patients both living and dead made it very clear to us that that this is a multi-system disease uh, that that has manifestations throughout the body. Uh, And and, uh, Part of it is that the virus has a preferential uh, interest in in damaging the blood cells that line our little arteries, that line the, 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 the air sacs in our lungs. So that basically anywhere a blood vessel can go, you can get involved in this disease, which, which also activates the clotting system throughout the body. It activates the complement system. It activates the clotting system. It, act, it, it, it starts all of our usually protective, inflammatory protective mechanisms in a, in a, a non-discriminate way that actually causes disease. So in some, even in some very early, unfortunately, autopsy studies, in the brain, you would see tiny little little tiny little infarcts to tiny little mini strokes, as you were. Uh, in the kidney, uh, there would be damage uh, to the kidney. Uh, maybe you know, people who have kidney disease can get back pain. Um, um, some, some people with COVID disease get, have to be put on dialysis in the hospital. Their kidneys fail that much um myocarditis is a big one not not the not the the, the widow maker main stem you know uh, big heart attack uh, uh, uh problem but out in the periphery of the heart the little teeny vessels that can cause some inflammation as the tissue breaks down it can cause atrial fibrillation and other other things and make your your heart enzymes go up so that uh, the emergency doctor may say gee you're, you're having a heart attack your enzymes are up well that's because there's all these little tiny little little infarcts there. Um, rashes. Uh, the, the the smell thing was curious at first because people who did MRIs and they they saw some parts of the front of the brain, you know, lighting up. And but it turns out that the virus attacks the little helper cells that surround the 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 smell nerves that come down through your skull into the into the sinuses. And and so we're learning every day I, I get all these medical feeds and every day I see that we're learning a little bit more. And just because we didn't have perfect knowledge before, doesn't mean that we were faking it or that it was a, you know, that it was a fraud. Or, I mean, we're we're learning as we go along. Uh, the, uh, the uh, I guess it was as Barry said. Gee, you know, younger people uh, seem to be doing better. Um, well, younger people don't get put on respirators as much. But the fastest growing group. Uh, 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 since the summer really has been school-age children and twenty-somethings. Now, part of, these are people with positive tests. So yes, we're testing more school kids. Yes, we're testing more college kids. But the, the the group that's not getting as a group the us oldsters we're not we're not the rapidly expanding group. We get worse. We get worse problems. We may have sixty percent of the mortality, but. Um, uh it's it's the younger people including the very youngest who while they may not get terribly sick some do and they may be getting sick in ways they're not aware of that may take years to show up but those younger people can certainly spread the disease and and, um i'm I'm sorry i I didn't get the your uh agudino is the name that i have on my screen here but the story of catching it from her son who wasn't all that sick but that's a pretty typical story testing my goodness gracious um you know r- early on this is a miracle of medical science that they they synthesized. they found the virus they synthesized its genetic sequence that's turning into vaccines that are going to become available in the very near future um uh that they we could do gold standard immunologic you know 21 and me kind of ancestry.com dna studies on people to show that they had viral rna in their systems but that test doesn't become positive until five days after you've had your contact you know by that time you've already spread the disease around (laughs) and and uh um uh and and even after you become symptomatic that test may be negative for a couple of days it may take a week or two or three for well even after two or three weeks the virus test the rna test may be positive but you can't necessarily uh infect anybody because the virus may be dead and I, I say this only because we're 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 hinging so much on testing you know test all those football players once a week and and but you know by the time the te- by the time you get the test five days after the contact and another couple of days to send it to the lab and get it back i mean why why bother doing the test uh or why bother doing the contact tracing? we Our contact tracing, we just weren't nimble enough in our data collection to be able to respond in a way to put a, 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 the brakes on this thing early on. Um, what else? What other notes did I make here? Let me, let me, I... I let me just take two or three more minutes and just because I spent, we spent all day yesterday Trent and I and others trying to figure out how to share the screen here let me show you because I've got a whole portfolio of stuff on my on the Kentucky uh, Health Policy Institute's uh, website Tableau website including one animated chart where you can watch the spread out from from Fayette County where the first Kentucky state was out into the rural area I won't show that now but I mean every single county has got got uh, cases in it and they're they're growing fast the rural counties are growing much faster, taking uh, than the than Fayette and Warren and Northern Kentucky and so forth. But let me just show you, uh, let me just show you one or two things. Um, okay, so in terms of new cases per day, I mean, uh, let me make this go away. Uh, this is this is the this is the number of new cases a day from early March until the present. I mean, one of the problems, well, immediately you see that, oh, my goodness, we're, we're going straight up. When's it going to end? When's it going to stop? Where are we headed? Well, I don't know. I got a little better handle, I'll tell you. But one of the problems is look at all these gaps. Yeah, so here you got one day, there's a zillion, there's two thousand, two thousand, almost 2,500. And then, then, you know, next day, there's only a, a couple of hundred. To me, this was evidence that we don't have a good system in place. And by the way, this is replicated nationally. It's not just us. That we don't have a good, we'd never had a good system in place to, to capture the data. Um, I've got to get rid of my pictures here, put it over in the corner. So cases per week, how can I make this go away? I'll put it over here. Uh, I mean, th- this last week, we, we were at 24,000 new cases during the week. Are Are we winning? look at, look at this oh, oh oh goodness gracious yes yes the closing the bars really worked uh we dropped off but no that was thanksgiving and the fact that we had like two or three weekends in a row um here's another way that people have been looking trying to even out this this uh this uh weekly cycle of highs and lows the red line shows uh, 7 day averages so that over a week it takes out some of the some of the variation but look it's going it's where's it going? Straight up? And and this is Thanksgiving week. So even, I'll tell you, people were just as sick in this week as they were for the rest of them. But here's here's something that I, I make this argument on the website, but here's what happens if you take that 14-day average of new cases, and you plot it in what's called a semi-logarithmic manner. This is not a linear graph. This goes, you know, 20, 100, 1,000, this lets you put small numbers and large numbers on the same plot, but uh, the one of the corollaries of that is if it's exponential growth, like you know, compounding interest or doubling, those points will go on a straight line. And I would put to you that you know, since September, since October, this is Kentucky's data of new cases. We have been going up at pretty much the same rate, and if if we don't, if nothing happens. We will be at five thousand new cases a day, by before Christmas, and ten thousand cases a day, by middle January. Are we winning? I don't think so. And and uh, are we in a new plateau? Is, is this a new plateau here? Well, we thought it was a little plateau down here. And but these are the kind of these. Are, I don't do crossword puzzles very well, and I can't. I don't. My memory's not good enough for Sudoku. But I would put to you that. We are still in trouble. We're not in as bad shape as other states. We're not like North and South Dakota, but but this is these are our hospitalizations. Currently in hospital in blue, ICU in red. You know, I had a hernia repair two three weeks ago, and I, in my in the post op they were boarding COVID patients in in, op, in the in the, the post op area because in, here in in, uh, in Louisville where we have the most patients in the hospital they are getting truly they're getting uh uh overwhelmed uh just just a, those are the kind of things i've been playing with all of those visualizations are available on on our uh on, on the, our website or on our tableau public website and i encourage you to look at them but uh and I'll, i'm happy to respond to any other questions well thank you for that i i
0: took a look at the website and there's just a tremendous amount of information on there especially with the charts and everything i'm, I'm a big charts fan so uh Uh, you know, I appreciate those types of data. Uh, I'm going to, I have, I haven't uh, turned it over to Julie yet, so I'm going to turn it over to Julie. I'm sure she has some questions. I think she's been monitoring our uh, Facebook feed for any live questions.
2: Yeah.
1: First of all, thank you all so much um, for sharing your stories and just being really vulnerable and honest with, you know, what your, your bodies have gone through um, and and being here to talk with us about it. You know, it's, I can only imagine that it's really frustrating to, have lived this experience or still be living this experience and the impacts of it. And, you know, to hear people minimizing it, um, denying the impact of it, um, not wanting to take personal responsibility for their own actions. Um, I'm just curious and, and to any of the, the three of you who want to jump in on this, um, you know, from a mental health perspective of just what that 's been like to have your bodies go through this, and then you know we 're all living through a pandemic, but you all have been lived the the worst of that pandemic as well um, what that what has that part of it? how has it impacted you just as you viewed the world and your relationships and in yourself i know Barry, Barry, you mentioned dealing with brain fog and you know some of that that kind of stuff. Um, What's that aspect been on it and how has that changed, you know, kind of your perspective? Astari, I know you said from three weeks ago, your whole life has changed, right? (laughs) Because it's been that impactful. So I'm curious to know, you know, what's that aspect of it been like for you all?
3: Uh, Well, for me, I mean, uh, uh, something that Amber said uh, really rang true where she had said, uh, God, I wonder if this is just my new normal now. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just something, especially for you know um, most of us who who have these long term things. It's just like we most of us were healthy beforehand, so it was just a, all of a sudden, bam, you're not a healthy person anymore, and it, you just it's it's almost it's, it's it's somewhere on the on the frequency or the spectrum of grief of dealing with just loss of function and. Um, you know the brain fog. I mean, when I started, when I, well, first of all, there was the isolation. I was quarantined uh, for almost a month, uh, and just that. You know, I just—my just wife was here, coming in and out of this room actually once in a while, wearing a mask to just drop me food and then go back out. And that alone, just the isolation, um, the lack of human contact, was was just enough to just dra- drive you mad uh, on some level. But I mean, also. The, the loss of function, both physically and, and cognitively, when I was able to get out, and there was a moment when um, I was driving, and uh, it was someplace I hadn't been before my wife was giving me directions. I you just, it, it's like your brain just kind of shuts down at some point and and like you have to make too many decisions and I got to a four-way intersection at a, at a place I would never been before and I nearly had an anxiety attack because like my, my brain could not figure out something that was automatic for me before. Um, and when you deal with that kind of stuff, yeah. Um, and I, I had told people uh, who, who had been through this similar, you know, after me, you know, they, I, I just said to them, and they were going through stuff like this. I said, whatever um, faith or spiritual uh, practice you have, uh, just lean into it heavily. Uh, and that that helped me just, uh, you know, meditation and prayer uh, just helped a lot. And thank God I just had a good support system around me. But yeah, it it is taxing. And that, in addition to just the physical health aspect of this that, that is going to be... Um, taking on our our people and our country as a whole in the world um there 's the whole mental health aspect that 's that we gotta factor factor into people are going to be <clears throat> people are going to be in trouble from this
1: mm-hmm. i agree
2: yeah. uh, and i I would definitely say the the isolation was one of the hardest parts um, you know I live with my two boys. And I'm, I'm a hugging mother. So, you know, every morning I'm like, good morning. And, you know, I'm hugging them on their way out the door or kissing them before they go to sleep at night. And for, you know, three weeks, I was, you know, I couldn't touch them. You know, I'm in my room with the door shut. And, you know, we even came up with a system where we, we were using that Campbell's soup at hand um, so that they could put the soup in the microwave, bring it and put it on my dress and then leave my room quickly you know and then I could I could drink or eat you know the soup and then throw it away so nobody else had to to actually touch it again after I touched it and then even after they released me from quarantine my oldest son who never got COVID was like don't touch me don't touch me you know like I mean it took forever to convince him that you know I could give him a hug because he's like I do not want COVID you know know, he didn't he don't want it and it's like you know, you want some, you want your friends to come back over and, you know, sit six feet apart. I never thought I'd, you know, miss sitting six feet apart before that was a complaint. You know, I'm like, gosh, you know, everybody's got to be so far away or, you know, I want all my friends in the room. And now I'm like, I mean, would you please just come sit six feet away from me? And they're like, no. <laughs> so, it's you know, that's, that is really, really hard to not be able to, you know, connect with the people the way we used to. And if you don't think that COVID is a big deal, you should really think about how you're gonna feel when you're isolated. Like, do is it worth the risk? Cause right now you can be six feet apart. Once you have COVID, you know, most, there's a lot of days I feel like I have the whole house to myself mm-hmm. and I work from home. So I'm always by myself. And that has been just like, for me, it's been one of the hardest, the hardest things mm-hmm. to deal with, um, and with the brain fog, <laughs> I think that comes at some of the worst moments. Because mm-hmm. I work for legal aid, and I, I'm on the phone with people all day long. And sometimes you don't even remember the word. You're like, mm-hmm. mm. and it, you know, yep. and it's and it's a common word, and it's something that you have said so many times you couldn't count. You know, and it's you don't have it. It just mm-hmm. it's not there, and you're like,
0: yep. Yeah, really, really, yeah. <laughs>
2: and, and people don't, people that have not had COVID or I guess some other kind of, I don't know, brain injury, you have no idea what that feels like to just be like, you know, you know, and it's not just like a regular, you know, brain that, you know, like he just, it's, it's just different. It's completely, completely different because you're just like, oh, you know, I, I know what I'm trying to say, but. And you really legitimately have no idea what it should be. Mm.
3: Yeah. It's, it feels, it's a loss of control. It feels like just somebody pushed a button on your brain outside of you and just shut it off for a moment. It's mm-hmm. just, yeah. Well, uh, and
2: I'm only three weeks out. So <laughs> for for me, it still happens far too um, commonly. Like I, I it, it drives me crazy I'll be talking to my children and just stop sentence, And I'll be like, what mom what and I'm like I don't know you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm like completely done with the conversation
0: (laughs) well we have about five minutes left I want to be respectful of everybody's time here so we'll do a little bit of a lightning round here at the end where we'll (laughs) maybe ask some I've got a bunch of questions coming in and we're running out of time so um maybe I'll I'll shoot something out and you just quickly answer a a bunch of them (laughs) that's Julie if you have any too maybe we can do that so Somebody asked online, does blood type have anything to do with severity in the medical community? Is there any evidence of that?
3: I haven't seen it. People said O oh, oh blood, O oh positive, O oh negative, uh, didn't get it. I'm O oh positive. And but I there were some bad.
5: early indications, early research. One of the first studies, really, that suggested that it correlated with, uh, with blood group. That was a very low-grade correlation, and I'm not sure that it's been carried forward. It, it, it's, uh, it's minimally important, we believe, at this point. Okay. And Amber,
0: feel free to jump into any okay. these medical questions as well. Okay. Um, Julie, do you have another one? I'll, you, I'll throw you one and then. Yeah, we
1: had a question I, here. We ahead. had a question asking about, is there any data that's starting to come out about the impacts, the long-term impacts, um, besides people who had to be hospitalized? Like a lot of what we're seeing is just hospital data, but like very situation, you know, that kind of a story. Um, is there any data coming out about that yet?
3: We're still collecting data that's part of the problem um I'm in a uh one of the what was one of the first post covid centers it's in mount Sinai hospital in new york um I'm going back there for a six month follow up this friday but uh, we're helping them they're helping us we're still collecting data on the log um there is um i can send i can put a a link in the comments to one uh guy in the u k who is doing some research on the long haulers um uh Gez Medinger, G-E-Z, uh M-E-D-I-N-G-E-R is his name. Uh, you can find him on YouTube. Okay, so, great.
4: So far, I'll just say that um infectious disease at UK, and that's who I've been dealing with. There they don't have any post-COVID clinics set up. However, the need is coming. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, if you look at yep. these numbers, the severity of the the course of illness does not correlate to long-term issues. So if you look at all these numbers of infections not everybody's in the hospital not everybody's on a ventilator and there are tons of people you know at home as we all the three of us were who all have various things going on that are going to need to be addressed and it is very hard post-COVID to go to a primary care um, especially in a rural area and to get them to be able to get you referred out I mean if you need a pulmonary referral Um, you're six months out. So, you know, it's just everybody is taking care of the acute need right now with the hospitalizations. And it's really going to take a lot of time before we can catch up and set up post COVID clinics to be able to take care of people who have been at home and have these long lasting effects. I have had so many people reach out to me as a healthcare provider in a small area who knew me and knew my story, just begging me like, what can I do? Where do I go to get help? Nobody believes me. Um, And then what I'm seeing is patients that are, that have come out of the hospital, geriatric patients, or even, you know, I'm gonna say 55 to 75 um, year olds coming out who have been very sick. There's limited nursing home or rehab beds. So now they're being, they're coming home Um, a lot sicker than we have seen and so we're trying to help their families manage them at home. So it's not just the hospital being pushed right now, Um, even just primary care clinics in addition to um, community care is just really taking a beating and it it's not going to get better as you see from Dr. Hasselbacher's numbers. We haven't even hit
5: the real iceberg. <laughs> All right. It's it's really. the, Go ahead. It's going to be hard to determine the long-term outcomes in our multiply fragmented, ineffective medical system, which many people can't even participate in. I'm hopeful that now when we use these vaccines that have been shown to prevent symptomatic uh, COVID disease, we have to test them for the long-term safety. So there, I'm hoping that we can piggyback some long-term follow-up. On, on all the pay, on all the people that are getting immunized, who are going to have to be booked somewhere because they need more than one shot and followed up. I'm hopeful that we can get some useful information from that.
0: Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question. You know, hopefulness of the vaccine. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know, apparently that could be out any day now. So uh, so that's.
5: It'll be out any day, but but you know, even even conservative folks are saying it's going to be end of next year by the time it becomes generally available, even to healthy old people like me. End of next year, I meant. <laughs>
0: yeah, Julie, do you have any other um, any any other quick questions before we?
1: Just lots of uh, people saying thank you for sharing your story, so I just, I second that. Um, Thank you all so much for for coming on here and talking with us. I think it's just so important that we get the information out to people so they can understand the importance of it, and that it's not, you know, just the flu, and it's not something that is to be taken lightly at all. Um, So hopefully this will help keep encouraging all of us, you know, as we're heading up to Christmas, and we all want to see our families, and we want to see our friends and spend time together, but we don't want to continue to see the kind of things we are or um, other people have to suffer like you all are so thank you for for being part of sharing that
2: you're welcome
1: well I thank you help. for having
0: us yeah thank you very much for being on we this is really important uh, you know i haven't seen a whole lot of things like this from time to time we see it on the news or whatever but uh for people especially locally to be able to reach out and share their stories especially um the ones that you guys just did that's you know i think that's very very helpful so thank you all very much for being on the show it's much appreciated all right so uh, you're you're well you're very welcome welcome back anytime Uh, our next show will be next week at the same place and same time 7 p.m next week we'll have former auditor former gubernatorial candidate Adam Edlund, who's now a solar entrepreneur, and uh, real estate solar entrepreneur, Chad Dickerson, and John Cotton, who manages a solar company. We're going to be talking about solar next week, so uh, that's going to be really interesting, something I'm interested in. And the week after, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. It'll be two days before Christmas, Christmas Eve Eve, so we're going to have a Christmas music. It's actually not going to be Christmas music, but we're going to have a live music special Ah, uh, so we're gonna we're gonna host three or four local musicians. There might be some Christmas music on there too. That'll be on December twenty third. And again, I want to thank our guests for coming on. I know, um, you know, thank you for taking time out of your day. I know, Astari's still not really feeling well, so it's a, thank you for being on. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So until we have a vaccine Thanks, and, and medical experts give us the green light, it's important that we stay safe and in our homes the best we can. Yeah. You know, we can go out and, and do things, but please, you know, please be, be very careful and judicious about that. So um, thank you everybody and see you again next time. Have a good one.
4: Bye. Thank you. All right. The
0: live stream has stopped.
3: All right. I uh, I just posted a link in the uh, comments for one of the, the guys who's really following the whole um, long haul thing. All right. he's, he, he's dealing with it himself uh, over in the UK and he's been collecting a lot of data. Um, that's kind of how it's been going. You know? <laughs> it's been, we'd have to do teach ourselves.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you all so much. And again, I know I've already said it, but thank you for sharing your stories and hope of course I continue to feel better. <laughs> and you just say Help
2: me? <laughs> no. yeah, I mean, yeah. the, the best part is that even with COVID, now that even though I don't feel well, I can still work. Like I was able to go back to work in three weeks, you know, instead of a month or, or two months. But whew, man, <sighs> yeah. there's still some days where I just can't even. I don't even want to go to work. You know, like it, mm-hmm. I have to talk to too many people, and I'm like, no, I can't today.
3: <laughs> That's like, the thing. Even even talking on Zoom can be exhausting I found Mm -hmm. that out too
2: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and I'm just like I can't today like I I can't because you know and and with legal I work for legal aid so there's lots of empathy and sympathy that has to go into some of our clients and you know and I don't say that in a a bad way because normally I have like it's up to here I have it all you know and but on you know on any given day I might wake up and just be like I can't today you know like my face, you know, everything. I'm, I can't mm-hmm. you know, I call in.
3: Yeah. Well, I'm
0: glad, I'm mm-hmm. glad you're starting to feel better. I, I'm glad Amber that you made it through your very rough. Uh,
2: long, yes, Amber. Long
0: <laughs> time Very too. And Julie, thanks again <laughs> for being co-host and Peter. Thank you for being on. Uh, we uh, really appreciate thank the you. medical thank
3: advice. You so
5: much. A privilege.
3: Yeah. Uh-huh. And Amber, Julie, Peter, if, if there's any resources I can give you guys, I've been, at this for a while as far as like recovery and you know helping and what's worked for me then feel free to reach out um you know i've done a lot of things <laughs> so, you know, the one thing i from, found from,
2: that worked for me that i had never taken before in my life was that horrible bc powder that you pour into your mouth <laughs> never <laughs> i've never taken that before in my life and the first I, do you know what i'm talking about like it's like I, looking no. like, so it's called BC um, headache powder.
5: And it's like oh, a it's loaded powder, with caffeine.
2: Yeah, I, <laughs> I haven't heard like anybody acid. talk
5: about those things in 50 years.
2: Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize that they were on Take
5: the market. A powder, honey. <laughs>
2: oh my God. I have Take never, ever, ever taken one. I think they're disgusting. But it was the only thing that helped with body aches. Wow. I, I mean, it helped better than anything I'd ever had. Normally, I, I'm an to leave, girl. Like, give me a leave. It, it works. Mm. I had two C sections to leave. A leave Aleve wasn't doing anything with Corona. Mm. It wasn't helping. Wow. But that that BC headache powder. I mean, it was like I could sleep. I could move. I could get up and down out of the bed. It was great.
0: Noted. I'll <laughs> keep <an eye. laughs>
2: So so we got to go back to like whatever they were doing fifty to hundred years ago for medicine: hot tights <laughs> and BC powder there you go there you go yeah.
1: all of anything right
0: yeah. awesome <laughs> i hope to see i hope to see you all in in real life again someday
4: yeah, <laughs> yeah. So thank We're you so all.
5: much it was fun all yeah. have a good thanks one everybody having
4: thanks a lot Bye. bye bye